this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode by joining at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Jay, it's Tim that me. time. Roundtable time. Is. Here we go. Another year. This is the last of our 20-year retrospectives. The next time we do this, it'll be a 30-year retrospective because we're going to go back oh, to 1990 in 2020. True. Wow. That's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting and depressing. Shocking was the word I was going to use. Shocking. That. <laughs> that works. Are Eric, you gobsmacked? You got anything? <laughs> you no. Got any, you got any no. adjectives? No. No, no He's just contemplating... Uh, it's like, just math. You you expected that to happen. Right. No, it's it's just that whole thing about like time moves by very quickly. No, the righteous brothers weren't correct. Time moves by very quickly, um, and it's it's just more a matter of hey, while you're enjoying all this music, time is flying by. Exactly, Thank and all this music, unlike pre digital, it's available all the time everywhere. You know, used to be right. you had to like go to your record store and you know dig a record out, and maybe you'd find something interesting, and or somebody would recommend something. Now everything is available at all times, everywhere, thanks to streaming, and makes things a lot different in terms of consuming music. So, you know, I don't know, were they doing thirty-year retrospectives back in nineteen ninety for nineteen sixty? Maybe Rolling Stone was. That might have been about yeah. it. Yeah, they were still talking about how great 1967 was. Exactly. Right. Oh wait, they're they're still talking about that. We need to introduce our uh, our roundtable guests. They've been here before multiple times. You can check out their guest pages over at digmeoutpodcast.com to see all the episodes they have joined us for, as well as links to their various activities. Eric Grubbs, Joe Royland, welcome back to the show, both of you. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Hello, hello. Good. Um, 1999. That's the year we're talking about. Lots of chatter over at Patreon about this year. And as we were discussing in the pre-show, this is a weird year. This is the year of, say, Britney Spears selling 10 million copies of her debut album. This is the year of uh, Limp Biscuit. This wow. is the year... Of Smooth by Rob Thomas and Santana. This is the year that Napster is launched. So you could say that this is maybe one of the most important years in the history of music because of that. Because of file sharing changing the landscape completely uh, for music in the 21st century. So... We're going to talk about probably not Britney Spears. Maybe. Maybe we will. Uh, maybe we'll talk about Gary Schroen leaving Van Halen. I don't know. That could come up. 
<laughs> Where's Matt Wardlaw to back me up yeah, on this? <laughs> maybe we could talk about, uh, you know, corn. Maybe, maybe we just need to do a whole. Maybe it's time, Jay. We do a new metal genre dissection episode. Yeah, well, I'd be up for it. Yeah, if our patrons decide, they could vote for that. It looks like yes. our first uh, patron selected roundtable is going to be a genre dissection, like we've done in the past with episodes such as our Power Pop roundtable last year, or emo, shoegaze, punk. We've done a number of these. Maybe it's time. We we tackle new metal. This uh, this is the year for it. That's for sure. Well, this is definitely yeah. yes. Uh, we're we're obliged to do it at some point. So we are. Need to talk about over at Patreon before we get to those comments. Got some people who have joined us. At the two dollar level, we had David Haverland, and I'm gonna mess up your name. I apologize. Uh, Vili Olenicki. I think I think that's right. That's pretty good. I think that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. And then we need to thank Darren Leach, who jumped from 250 to 1950, joining us. He's, be- he's becoming a a, a member of our board of directors. He's going to be helping us on the roundtables. He's going to be helping us on 80s, our our bi monthly 80s episodes. They're going to be coming up this year. Woo! Thank you, Darren. Enjoy the roundtable discussions enjoy the 80s discussions uh if you'd like to do so other folks uh patreon.com forward slash dig me out so here's what we're gonna do i want to spark i want to i want to spark i want to uh uh bring up these comments as we're going through i don't want to just load up all the comments at the top of the show because we'll be talking about the comments from people so uh, let's talk let's do our first um category of of albums and let's talk about albums that came out in 1999 that you think have stood the test of time now these don't have to be your favorite albums of that year but just albums you go yep that is a really solid album that has re-listen value 20 years later people should check it out eric let me start with you give me your two or three top albums that you think have stood the test of time from 1999 Sure. I'm not going to talk about what my favorite album of 99 is yet, but um, here's some... for the end. Yes. Yes. So what I'm going to say is uh, I have four uh, and I'll just quickly run over them. Okay. Uh, Something to Ride Home About by the Get Up Kids. 1999 was a huge year for emo bands yep. uh, putting out stellar stuff. Uh, so uh, I also include Very Emergency by The Promise Ring, but uh, also the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Mesner by Ben Folds 5 mm-hmm. and and The Man Who by Travis yes oh, oh. forgot about that I, one I missed that one yes yeah watching bridges burn your drift moon floating up the water breaking into pieces 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 just drift through hollow end of no use waterfall And you know what? David Haverlin, who just joined us, he said 99 was a great year for emo with Jimmy Eat World, Dismemberment Plan. As, well, I don't know if Dismemberment Plan is emo, though. I don't think they are. 
they're grouped in with it. Okay. You know, they're, they're, they're more like that post-hardcore kind of glitchy, fun sort of band. He mentioned uh, something to write home about, very emergency. He also said, Raina Maria, look now again. Mm-hmm. Look, now look again. Um, yes. And then uh, Sunday Real Estate's live album came out this year. Yeah. And so other favorites that haven't been mentioned, Beck's Midnight Vultures, Mission Control by Burning Airlines, New World Record by the Poster Children, Magnetic Fields, 69 Love Songs, Pingback's self-titled debut, Super Chunks, Come Pick Me Up. Um, he said, I was disappointed by seven more minutes by the rentals and initially was by Between the Bridges by Sloan, but have come to really love that album. Okay. Those are some good mentions right there. Some of those might come up again. Joe, why don't you give us some of your Stood the Test of Time albums from 99? Uh, well, the first one is uh, Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. Uh, clearly, if you ask any Jimmy Eat World fan what their favorite album is, a 9 out of 10 of them are going to tell you it's that record. Yep. That is correct. So, <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, even if I don't necessarily feel that way myself, but it's pretty close. Uh, that That's an album that's definitely Stood the Test of Time. Uh, Blink-182's Enemy of the States, probably their biggest album, still, you know, with all the hits. It was the first album with Travis Barker. Uh, one that's kind of more of a hidden gem, but still works for me, Guster's Lost and Gone Forever. That was kind of mm. like their big breakthrough album. They were third record, but it was the one that really put them on the map. Um, I think it was their second album with Warner Brothers, but it was the one that really brought them to the public attention. So, All right. Good picks. Jay, what do you got? I'll go with the albums uh, that I revisited that I really felt uh, were not dated anyway. Basically, if you listen to them now, you you wouldn't know when they were from. So uh, I think Chris Cornell's Euphoria Morning holds up really well. Um, I think Fiona Apple's When the Pawn Mm -hmm. holds up well. Uh, Wilco Summer Teeth, probably the last Wilco album I liked. Uh, Buck Cherry's first record um, holds up pretty well. Um, and my, one of my personal favorites, The Helicopters Grande Rock. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with some of those. Uh, Wilco Summer Teeth, I agree with. I think that that album starts what would actually be a very good indicator of where their sound would start to, you know, take off uh, from and and where they would kind of expand and and experiment more i don't i don't think it's i think jay if you checked out maybe like star wars or wilco the album you'd probably find some things that you'd like that are similar to those that album um i wanted to mention the soft bulletin by the flaming lips because not only do i feel like Mm. that's their best record but like i kind of feel like it's in the same class as uh, another record that came out this year, uh, Blur's 13, where a band took a lot of chances and experimented and made some interesting music that's a little bit more experimental than what they were known for. But, Joe, I heard some consternation. Do you, do you not agree that no, it's no, the test? No, I do. I, that, I was, uh, that was an agreement. Oh, okay. Definitely. So. I thought that was a, hmm... All right, I don't know. That, that was a totally an agreement. Like, yep. And then the other one was uh, Matthew Sweet's in reverse. Um, I kind of feel like that might be the last 
Matthew Sweet record I really got into. And stuff in the 2000s has been good, but that's probably the last one I really dug. Um, and it's also his, I guess, biggest record in terms of production. So let's check out what the commenters said in terms of some of their picks. Uh, Andy in Florida said, For me, I was digging Fountains of Wayne, Utopia Parkway, Shades Apart, Eyewitness, Owsley's debut, Matthew Sweet's in Reverse, Jason Faulkner's Can You Still Feel, Guster's Lost and Gone Forever, Foo Fighters' There's Nothing Left to Lose, and Vertical, Vertical Horizons' Everything You Want. That's a great record. It, that is a great record. That should have been probably in my time. And it does still hold up. Mm-hmm. Really? Huh? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I actually, I just saw, well, God, I think, I think it was almost three years ago now, uh, but I saw it was a kind of like a 90s triple bill, so it was uh, Vertical Horizon, Tonic, and, God, I'm going to forget who the third band is, but the, 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 Matt Scanlon from Vertical Horizon, pretty much just him, the only guy in the band now, but he was play, playing all those songs, and they still held up live, still sounded amazing. Yeah. I don't know about you, Jay, but I realized this is the year where I kind of gave up on, like, the radio and MTV, I think. Oh, yeah. You weren't yeah. the only one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this, this for me was also because of that, I started to – I just had other ways to find music, I guess. Right. Between Napster right. and <laughs> I don't know what else, but it just – it seemed like there was also a bit of a energy around rock and roll again, and there were some new things going on, and – and that that did not work for radio at all so yeah i'm I'm with you this was uh closing that chapter for me i think uh honestly for me one of the big things and we'll get into it some of my picks later was i moved to columbus there was a virgin megastore here and it had tons of import music magazines from the uk so i was buying new music express q um anything that was in there i was more interested in checking out than what was on local radio or I was, I completely was ignoring MTV at this point. I had completely lost interest and I was like a band like vertical horizon. I would maybe hear them and just like turn the channel on the radio or I'd be playing like a CD and never really listen to anything that was happening. Cause I was just, I was totally enamored with like the post Brit pop, bands that were happening which a lot of them travis was mentioned that was one of them i love the man who and that Mm. might come up later for me other bands like stereophonics and manson yes yeah because this was peak cd year right you know um because i don't think there were any records that came out in 2000 that sold more than anything that was released in 99 um and you know yeah it was the year that napster you know, I, I mean, truth to, truth to be told, the thing about Napster for me was I thought it was like a great supplement to finding stuff that you couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. But then when it's embraced by people that are very passive music fans, then the music industry went, you know, crazy because it's like this is killing our industry. And, you know, Lars Ulrich had a lot of true statements to say, whether you liked uh, 
Metallica or liked him or hated him at the mm-hmm. time. I mean, it's just like this was a very pivotal turning point. But I, I totally hear you about uh, MTV and regular radio not really speaking to you anymore. It's like, you know, they had essentially turned their backs on uh, Pearl Jam and were embracing Matchbox 20 by this point. Right. And mm-hmm. al- al- also they embraced Creed and, and rap rock oh. was rap rock was so big you know it was it was all about the industry was we just want to sink our money into records that are going to be huge hits we don't care about developing artists uh over a course of a few records they need to make a big hit with one or two records and that's it right this is the year of crazy town and that kind of stuff and but you i don't want to i don't want to i want to emphasize though eric you just made a great point in that uh there was convergence that happened right you had Napster coming up, and then you had this, the peak of CD sales mm-hmm. and basically radio becoming irrelevant all within the same, you know, 24 months, it seemed, um, which here we are. That's was sort of the collapse of the modern record industry. From well, this, this was also peak MTV in terms of pop music. Yeah. I mean, this is oh, Britney yeah. Spears, Backstreet Boys. Told the Request Live. TRL, yes. So, oh, like, wow. they're buzzing with with tons and tons of record sales based off of videos by teen bands and pop bands and manufactured bands and that kind of stuff. Then you had you also had the Spice Girls in the UK, you had S Club 7, you had Robbie Williams. I mean, this was peak as far as all that stuff goes. So Yeah, I mean, I saw yeah. it firsthand. I mean, I worked Me at too. Best Buy that <laughs> uh, I was going to mention you know, Best Buy too. Yeah. <laughs> Because we sold so many copies of Insane uh, Celebrity, yeah, uh, you know, we, and, yeah, same thing. And I so was working many... in a music store, and that was the last, maybe that in two thousand were the last years that we would sell three, four, five hundred copies of an album in, in a week, you know, and and that was the last time that ever happened. Right. You were lucky after that. You were lucky if you maybe sold a hundred copies or something, and that would have to be something like an Eminem release or or some major major artist. And they were few and far between after that. Yeah, because I saw so many teenagers come in with their parents, and they liked that song "Fly" by Sugar Ray or "Answer the Phone" or "Every Morning," and they would have to buy the entire CD to get those songs. And so I don't, you know. The music industry moguls that made millions for decades, essentially ripping off fans, they get all bitter and appear in these documentaries talking about how nobody buys records anymore. And it's like, well, you were shortchanging fans for so many years by forcing them to, you know, not making a single available. Right. Instead, you force them to buy the album. And, you know, Napster gave people the chance to say, like, hey, I only want two songs by Sugar Ray, not 27 by buying, yeah. you know, their first record and then, uh, well, buying the first record, then floored and then 1459. So, um, you know, pivotal changes in, in the music industry definitely affected, you know, what records came out. But uh, it seems like the records that we're all raving about some of them were popular others not but as far as like the conversation about santana matchbox 20 creed all that stuff is just kind of with it didn't make much of an impact to us then it sold a lot of copies to a lot of people but as far as the long-term impact it's not really there for us i think that's a safe thing to say yeah and so so many of those bands are i mean i'm thinking right now racking my brain but um have disappeared 
I mean, Creative's yeah. gone. Yeah. 20s pretty much, I don't know what happened to them. I mean, they were they rose to arena level within a couple of years. And now when you go through a lot of those bands that were so heavy on uh, MTV and the radio, they're just non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. And this that was like the last time, you know, too, where albums were going like three, four, five singles deep. You know, mm-hmm. you look back at some of these out. Al- I'm like looking in my notes and like looking at some of the albums that were bigger sellers. And they, you know, even like Sugar Ray, 1459, three major hits, sing- you know, radio hit singles off that album. Yeah. You know, and it's like it, you just wouldn't have that again after this. You know, you might get, I remember like Lady Gaga or maybe Kings of Leon's, you know, with Katy Perry. That, but, you know, Katy Perry, but you just wouldn't see it as much you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be like every other band it would be one out of 20 or one out of 30 that maybe would do that right jay let's get to some other comments over at patreon do you have that up yeah there's a, a little bit of a movement around uh, stp's number four i think this is where i checked out on the band but both scott witt and whitney beeler both are pretty big fans of that record to this day where do you guys stand yeah. on that I'm still a fan. Uh, it was, I think a lot of people liked it because it was a uh, harder sound. It was kind of more of a return to the sound of their debut album. So that was why uh, I think a lot of fans came back to that record. But I still like it. But there hasn't been an STP album I haven't liked. So Church on Sunday is a great team. And I don't Like, I remember hearing Drown, and I was like, wait, what? Because they're coming off with Tiny Music, which is more or less like an homage to, like, the Beatles. Um, and I really like that kind of direction that they were going through. But wasn't Scott Weiland, like, didn't he almost die because of heroin addiction at that between those two records? Um, and so, like, they, they kind of turned things back when they made right. number four. Plus, you also had Scott's solo album, plus the talk show album came out in between that. So they realized we're better off together than alone, you know, on our doing our own thing. So that kind of was another reason why they went back to a a different sound. And you still had a little bit of the tiny music and stuff like Sour Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But that that, you know, number number four still got a lot of great stuff in it, like Alabama. um, Oh, geez. Was it? I can't remember the name of the track now, but it's. Uh, Atlanta. Don't worry. Atlanta. That's not Alabama. Yeah. Atlanta. That's the song that, I'm thinking of. That yeah. song is incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Hooper over at Patreon said, "For my musical taste, 1999 was more subdued than either 98 or 2000. But my notable records for that year were The Flaming Lips, Soft Bulletin, Terror, Twilight by Pavement, Thirteen by Blur, Come On and Die Young by." Mogwai. His record of the year, Keep It Like a Secret by Built to Spill. His hidden gem, The Sebado by Sebado. Oh, nice. Disappointment, Do the Collapse by Guided by Voices. And he said, The best 1999 record you guys have never heard of, 
Clayton Park by Thrush Hermit. Okay. I, I, True. I got it. I gotta be. I gotta disagree with kind of my voices, but then yeah, uh, that's I, a, that's I an. I love that album. <laughs> that's that's the one that really sold me on that band. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, though, it was like the the first song I heard off that was "Things That I Will Keep," and the first time I heard it, like I was, is this a Posey song I've never heard before? And uh, <laughs> that got me to check out the rest of the album because that tune sounds so much like the Posies, but. Yeah, and we yeah. did an episode on that record, and we both liked it, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah, I, know I did. I I think Jay and I, because we are not, uh, you know, hardcore guided by voices fans, and are also leery of intentional lo-fi recording, that <laughs> um, we've always gravitated toward like toward that album, and I- Isolation Drills is probably front to back probably my favorite guided by voices album, but I also like Earthquake Glue and half smiles of the decomposed and and those 2000s records with nate farley former guest playing guitar on those um i just love all those records because they sound good they have great melodies yeah they're a little bit longer yeah you don't get the little one and a half minute long tossed off lo-fi recordings like you do on alien lane and b thousand but i mean I, can, I don't think you can go wrong with do the collapse or isolation drills yeah. or i mean those records i can I can get why an old school fan might be turned off by it because it was clearly the most commercial sounding record they'd ever made at that point. Yeah. You know, but, but if that was say your introduction to the band, you know, that then you have a whole different perspective on the album. Right. Let's talk about albums that were big or a big deal upon release, but maybe you went back to them recently and thought this has not stood up well, or maybe it was a big deal and he never stood up for you. Uh, <laughs> Joe, I'll start with you. What are some that have not stood up? You know, I'm going to say this nine inch nails, the fragile. That was Ooh. the record that I just like, okay. I, I, I don't even know if I ever really have been able to get through that album in its entirety more than a few times. Cause it's a double album. It's a lot to digest. And that was kind of like my dropping off point for, for Nine Inch Nails was that record. Interesting. So that's one of them. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's still some good tracks on it, but right. it's just like too, too, too much. Um, not that I ever loved them, but definitely a lot of the new metal stuff like Limp Bizkit's Significant Other or Staying oh, Dysfunction. Sure. You know, yeah. there were there were songs on there like, hey, that's kind of a catchy song. But then you try to go back and listen to it now. And they're like, what? Ugh, I don't understand the appeal anymore. Is is Significant Other the one that has Nookie on it? Yep. Yeah. That's the yep. one. <laughs> Nookie, Rearrange, you know, uh, Break that's... Stuff. I'd say that was the record that ruined new metal because yeah. it had such a promising start with that first corn record. And then, you know, uh, the West Borland is a very inventive guitar player in Limp Biscuit. But then when you have this guy that's, you know, always playing the victim by being an asshole and saying all these like really derogatory things about women. Well, I don't blame new metal for having that bad rap with it. Keep in mind, folks, this was the year of Woodstock 99. Yeah. Oh. I was going to go with that. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that significant other was a huge record, but as far as like, I don't even think it's been, I know it's been reissued on vinyl, uh, but as far as like, you know, is Rolling Stone going to do a retrospective on it? Probably not. You know, Um, I want to mention one record that's, been brought up 
in the comments and it's one that I've always had trouble with it, but it hasn't stood up for me. And I don't think any record that this band has put out since then either has stood up. Um, it's the Foo Fighters. There's nothing left to lose. I feel like this is a band that has a couple good singles to every record, but they don't make good records overall. Um, I felt that way basically after the color and the shape has been that way for me. Uh, I remember hearing learning to fly and being like, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Tim, it's a good thing we live in different States. Cause, uh, you know, I, I might have to throw down with that comment. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, it's like, I understand. Um, I, I would say that Wasting Light, that was, I thought, was their last great record start to finish. Yep. But yeah, there was there was definitely changes in the fact that you had, you know, Dave Grohl plays almost everything on the first record. Then there's a, almost a full band for The Color and the Shape. And then you have them trying to forge like a, a solid lineup for there's nothing left to lose. And, um, you know, I, I think I really, really dig there's nothing left to lose. It's just, I didn't mention it earlier because there are so many other records that I, I think, uh, took a little bit more precedence on my list. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was a huge record at, at that time. And I'd say it still holds up. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that that's where I started to get uh, saturated with the band. It just, it was just so much, um, by that point, I just couldn't take anymore, and then I just started rejecting them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, I've got a good one. I think we've talked about this in the past, but uh, live, the distance to here. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> is, is that dolphins cry. Dolphins cry. That's, that's you can almost smell list. it. Yeah, that's on my list, and I I missed it to say it, so. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, that, that's yeah. Really the only one I had. I mean, that is just such a stinker. A band that had so much promise and was so, I don't know, they had like a credibility that they were maintaining. And then this record came out yeah. and it just tanked. Yeah. Um, I just remember hearing that song and thinking everything I had thought about the band had suddenly just been upended. <laughs> like my whole perception of them was just completely upside down. Um, I don't think I've ever as quickly turn on a band before than with that record. Yeah. I remember when you bought that CD and brought it home and you were like, so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I have two records to throw into this list. All right. Um, that other, I mean, I had already put significant other down, but, uh, and terror twilight was mentioned. You see, I liked that record at the time, but it seemed like if you brought it up to hardcore pavement fans, they hated it. And I was like, why? And it still is the only pavement record um, that hasn't received the reissue treatment. Uh, it seemed like they saved all the like B-sides and rarities for the uh, Bright in the Corners reissue because they haven't done that for Terror Twilight. I don't know. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. But the one record that I remember got a lot of publicity at the time, but I think when longtime fans started to listen to it, they were like, uh, yeah, we hate this. And the band is still asked about it now and not in a good way. And I'm talking about Risk by Megadeth because that was a record where uh, I think it was based off uh, an, an interview that Lars Ulrich gave where it's like, you know, Megadeth just doesn't want to take any risks with their sound. And so Dave Mustaine took that as like so many things throughout his career. It's like, <laughs> what what can I do to spite Metallica? Oh, hey, uh, did you know I was fired from that band? 
hey, did did you know that I like formed my own band and we played all of our songs faster? Um, and I'm not as good as a singer as James Hetfield. And so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that record, you know, crush them was big on radio, but like, who was that record really for? Um, so, you know, that's those, those are the was, ones. Was that there? I, I get my, uh, start to get my, uh, Megadeth history me- messy here. Was that the, like the most commercial they had done at the, to that point? Well, that, simply, I remember that they were very, went very much, they had one record that was like, very much like their black album, right? Like well, that was count- radio singles. That was Countdown to Extinction, and then they right. made Youth in Asia, uh, which Youth in Asia, yeah, some, one. yeah, it was spawned some big hits for them. But then when they got to Risk, then it's like, uh, I don't know, guys. Well, that album was produced by Dan Huff, who was in the band Giant, and he was like started out his roots were like in Christian music, Christian bands, and then he and his brother formed the band Giant. They had few albums but then he like kind of got he became like a session nashville session guitarist and be very much behind the scenes for like hollywood records producing a lot of like the the um disney stuff you know so it was an interesting choice i mean he's a great guitar player but it was a really interesting choice for mistake yeah. to use him and as i remember mistake had issues where i think he was claiming that uh he would go back and in and listen to stuff, and he's like, "I didn't play this part." And he was accusing Hop of like re-recording some of the guitar parts himself. <laughs> <laughs> Oops! <clears throat> Giant was like a that was like an AOR band, right? They yeah, had, they had a huge like power ballad. Yep. Wow. 89. I'll see you in my dreams. Ten years before oh, this. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Man, I really hope somebody writes a book about power ballads someday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, hi, only, only somebody on the show knew anything about those. Yeah. If somebody could explain a drum beat that was like falling down the <laughs> stairs. I think I know Power the guy. Ballad. Power Ballad by Tim Minichi. Check it out. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Let's uh more comments. We got so many comments, we gotta get to them. Whitney Bueller, his a couple of that have not been brought up. He said the uh album Part Three Coping with Insignificance by the Adventures of Jet. Uh, actual size by Muzzle. Hey, album by Marvelous Three. God save the Smithereens by the Smithereens. And then he also mentioned Fountain Wayne, Foo Fighters, Stone Temple Pilot, Shades Apart, Owsley, which have all been mentioned, and then Dovetail Joints Zero Z Z One, as they say that's, in Canada. That's a two thousand record, though. Is it? I thought it was ninety nine. Yeah. And no. I tell you why, because we've done it for this show, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I, well, no, we've done some 2000 records. I mean, it, it's one of those records that can never release twice. I mean, I yeah. Oh, well, first. it might have had the major label release in 2000, but it might have been. I'm going to Wikipedia this shit right now because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was such a common like thing. Album. You know, if like, uh, you know, a band releases, like a lot of bands in England released something in 98, right. but in America yep. it didn't come out until 99. 99, January 26, 1999 on Columbia Records. Well, wow, sure. I missed that. Which is, put it on my list. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, also want to mention Eric Peterson, who, who we always know there's going to be some high-energy rock on his list. He mentioned yeah. the helicopters. He mentioned the Barbarellas, Queen of the Galaxy, the Coffin Shakers, We Are the Undead, and the Groovy Ghoulies, Fun in the Dark, along with the compilation album Swedish Sins 99. 
John Seaman also mentioned Marvelous 3. He brought some other ones, some interesting choices. Incubus, Make Yourself. Counting Crows, This Desert Life. He mentioned Chris Cornell, Jay, like you did. Seven Dusts Home. Silver Chairs, Neon Ballroom. Stained Dysfunction. Oleander, February Sun. Jimmy's Chicken Shack, Bring Your Own Stereo. Yes. Uh, nice filters title of record <laughs> along with he said albums i got into later were jimmy world's clarity and fiona apple's when the pawn and he said he still listens to uh euphoria morning and home by seven uh seven dust <laughs> so i'm not familiar with jimmy's chicken check i don't know what that is uh they had a couple of two albums they had like two minor radio hits with each album that the, the one he's talking about had a song called do right was the hit okay yeah and i only really knew them because i was always looking for jimmy world cds well, exactly. and they'd be filed right in front of you know if you like jimmy's chicken shack what is this incubus is a good call because a lot of people forget that that album was actually 99 because it didn't break until 2000 like all the hits off that album were 2000 and it came out kind of late, and I think it was October '99 when it came out. So it came out late in the year. But a lot of people, I, you know, like I, when I went to look, was looking up things. I'm like, oh, that was '99 because I, I can, I was thinking it was a 2000s album too. Uh, Jason Pan said at the time in high school was listening to a lot of Californicate, Californication and Filters title of record as others have floated. What I came to later when buying, when the buying budget got better and I could own my own CDs were things like. Something for Kate, Beautiful Sharks. Um, is it Deuce or Deus? D E U S. How do you pronounce that? Anybody know? I think it's yeah. Deuce, like like Zeus, but with a D. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Ideal Crash, Gomez, Liquid Skin, uh, Sugar. Oh yeah. Sugar Raw. I can't say this word. Agis Brunavra. I don't know how you say that. Agis. You mean Sugar Rose? Sugar oh, Rose. Sugar Rose, yes. but I don't know how to say the album title. It's the Blue oh. Baby album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just say that. <laughs> uh, he mentions uh, Fiona Apple, Silverchair, and oh, while we're while we're there, uh, well, whether we're not my thing, Muse's Shoba's album was really prominent in my cassette player in my car during university. Still a good play despite wearing its influence on the sleeve before the Muse stick starting to emerge on subsequent albums. That's an interesting record. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because, go ahead. Can I I throw in this quick little little anecdote? Sure. Uh, This was around the time that I started working in college radio, KTCU. And um, this was that post-OK Computer time where people were waiting so long for brand new Radiohead that Mm -hmm. one night I played um, Muscle Museum by Muse from Showbiz. And I got a call, and this woman's like, hey, that new Radiohead song is great. Great.
and but yeah that that was in a very interesting record because it sounded more like radiohead even it though did. the ba- even though the band was like no we like queen and it's just like sorry bud when you've got that voice that's just going straight up and then you start like doing the falsettos with it yeah. it, it, it it's like people make the the correlation to like jeff buckley and tom york not freddie mercury yeah right Jay, I, I think but- you got that cd right Oh yeah, yeah. I was, I, I because you were like, hey, "Hey, if Radiohead's not going to rock anymore, I'll buy a band that sounds like Radiohead and rocks." Hell <laughs> yeah! I actually got. I have a promo of it on vinyl that I got. It's on clear vinyl. It's numbered from like that I got as a promo from the label back then. Whoa, that's pretty cool. That's got to be worth a few bucks. Probably, I don't know, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't part with it. <laughs> but um. The uh, I wanted to go back to Seeger Rose for a minute because that's another one too where um, that's a case where the album was originally issued in '99 but didn't really get an American release until 2001. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Jim really? Lazowski. That yeah, interesting. Jim Lazowski says I would go with Utopia Parkway as a personal favorite and a bona fide pop masterpiece. Others include Fiona Apple, Matthew Sweet, Old 97s, and Primal Scream. That also came up with. Ian Wobble, personal favorites of the year. The Fall Unnutterable, Primal Scream, Exterminator. I didn't realize that Exterminator came out in 99, but then I remember that there are <laughs> the differences in, um, you know, re- release years for UK bands. So um, let me double check. I believe that, no, it did not come out in 99 in the UK. Came out in, sorry, guys. If you have included Primal Scream in your list, it came out January 31st, 2000. You are 31 days past the 99 deadline. Right, right. Y2K had happened without you know issue. Because that's a great record, and I would have included it on my list, but it didn't come out in 2000. So sorry, right. Ian and, um, and Jim. Um, Ian also had Sizzla, Royal Son of Ethiopia, Underworld's... Bayo Cup Fish and Eister Zaden Nuben Town. What? Anybody know how? Oh, you're making some industrial fans really angry right now. Eister Zaden Nuben Nubenhausen. Lieber Glotten Globen. Silence is sexy is the name of the album. Remember, folks, if you're oh, listening man. to this and you're on Twitter, it's at Dig Me Out Podcast. <laughs> Einstein Newbauten. That's what I'm calling that band. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's umlauts. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pronounce that. I can't even believe those are words. Uh, so anyway, that's what that's what Ian picked. Um, who else? We there's only a few left here. That we haven't mentioned. Keith Sawyer yet? Seasons change, feelings change. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I haven't heard. Uh, June and the Exit Wounds. Um, LPs by Dressy Bessie and the Luxsmiths. Damien Gerardo, Rehearsals for Departure. Simon Joyner's The Lousy Dance. Emo Punk, Were Defined for Me by No Nice Fire in the City of Automatons. That's one I need to pull out. I haven't listened that to that. That is a great record. Time. Oh, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Dismemberate Plans, Emergency Nye, uh, Retro New Wave Comeback, 
uh, My Favorite Loves at Absolute Zero and the Faith Black Wave Arcade. Mm-hmm. And that's another record I need to go back and listen to. Uh, top of the list were uh, Old 97's Fight Songs and... Great album, great um, album. Yeah. But they don't, play any, they don't play any songs from that record anymore. Um, which is unfortunate, but like songs like Jack, uh, uh, Jagged and a uh, 19, those are my favorite old 97s records. And yes, they're from around here. And, um, yeah. So anyway, and, uh, basement Jack's remedy was the last on this list. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one other one that we didn't mention that was, um, or did, was that the last one? I think that might be the last one. Okay. Thanks, everybody, at uh, Patreon for those comments and all your suggestions of uh, what you thought were your favorite or what you provided as your favorite records. Um, We need to talk about um, albums we discovered after they were released, long, long after. Now, through this show, Jay and I have discovered a ton of albums afterwards. So I'm not going to include the ones that we've done reviews for, although there's been a lot of great records that we have reviewed from this year. Um, but one that I wanted to mention that I discovered many years later is Fu Manchu's Eat and Dust. Because um, I didn't get into Fu Manchu and, and uh, Stoner, Desert Rock, that those kind of sounds until a couple years later, like 2001, 2002, 2003, in, in that era. And that has a cover of Godzilla by mm-hmm. uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. And then also has my favorite Fu Manchu song called Mongoose. It's on the yeah. back half of that record. Uh, well, that's on California Crossing. Is it? Uh-huh. Because I was so into Fu Manchu around that time. And Mongoose, I'm pretty sure, is on California Crossing. Well, the record what? that they did after. Now look, it says fifth studio album released February nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, was the first, second album for Brant Bjork and Bob Balk, and who replaced Ruben Romaro and Eddie Glass. Um, so I guess it's a sort of a compilation, because the first three tracks were originally released as the Godzilla EP, which was a ten inch, on uh, Josh Omi's Man's Ruin Records. And then, um, but it's it's listed as an album. Yeah, it was uh, it was a ten inch. Um, yeah, because King of the Road was the record that came out in two thousand. Then California Crossing came out in two thousand one. Is and California Crossing does have Mongoose on it. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but but that song "Evil Eye" from the Action Is Go that song rips. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not on streaming as of last check. Yeah, yeah, but action is action is go. I mean, you can find it on YouTube or you find it at UCD. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. Fu Manchu's like one of those like they're still going and they still like they are consistent. Yep. With what they do. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention that I, I didn't get until long after it came out because I was kind of not listening to this artist even though uh, I got back into him years later. Uh, it's Prince's Raven to the Joy Fantastic. I cr- I sort of checked out with Prince in the mid nineties and then didn't really get back into listening to any of the records probably until like thirty one twenty one, which was like mid two thousands. Yeah. So uh, I was happy to go back and I just enjoy everything that he does. So there's even the weird jazz jam instrumental albums that he puts out on his own label 
for his fan club. I like to <laughs> listen to that weird stuff too. Um, so those are a couple that I discovered and listened to long after they came out. Eric, what about you? What were some stuff? What were some records that you didn't get to uh, when they came out? I'll just quickly go over a couple and then discuss one in particular. Um, for me, Wilco Summer Teeth. For some reason, I kind of slept on that, even though I was a big fan of being there. But I kind of backtracked when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot had that all all, all that traction, mm-hmm. um, and I realized, wow, this whole record is amazing. And it's it's a it's an important uh, record in their story because they were attempting to make something as pop friendly as possible and reprise was all reprise just totally dropped the ball on promoting it so when they did yankee hotel foxtrot the way that they wanted it to they're all like well we need a single and we need to remix it and it's like um this is the record take it or leave it um another one tom waits mule variations uh that was a surprise comeback because i don't think he had put out a record since bone machine and um i was listening to it again and it's got the weird avant-garde stuff that tom waits is best known for but also mm, probably some of his best ballads in decades uh take it with me is just such a powerful song um Another one, Built to Spill, Keep It Like a Secret. I got into that band more with uh, the live record, and I backtrack and realize, man, the guitar playing on this is incredible. And um, so uh, that, and that's a record that's held up really well. But the one record, and this has not been discussed yet, uh, American Football's first LP. Now, now, here's the thing about American Football. That record was a great record when it came out. And there was a small group of people in the emo scene that embraced it. But if you had 10 Get Up Kids fans, you had one or two American football fans. And this was a band that they recorded it knowing that they were going to break up. And so it has like this very specific kind of emo sound. But it's like when you if you're only going to listen to 10 emo records that entire year, that could easily get lost in the in the pile. And it got lost in the pile for me. Uh, but that's a record I've come back to actually thanks to their second record that came out a few years ago and realized, hey, this record is pretty fantastic. Joe, I heard you. Yes, American Football was like on my list too. That was the record. I totally slipped past me initially. I didn't even find out about it until it was a reissue, what, a couple years ago? Yeah. Years ago? And yeah. that was when I finally, like, I like, there was like a buzz about it. I'm like, who is this band? Why have I never heard of them before? So that was one I definitely got into. A couple of the other ones I have weren't like necessarily years after, maybe only a couple of years after Seager Rose being one of them. Um, Feeder's second album, Yesterday Went Too Soon. Uh, I had the debut album, really liked that, but then neither their second or their third album got released in the U.S., so I didn't even know they had those out until their fourth album came out. And, that, and then I liked that, and I'm like, wait, they did two albums in between this? How did I not know? But uh, that was one I really enjoyed a lot. And Tom Petty's Echo. I kind of checked out on Tom Petty. And I remember I getting a promo for that, never even listening to it until like years and years later. And believe it or not, when I actually got around to digging it out was when you guys did the Tom Petty in the 90s special. And then I'm like, damn, there's some good stuff on this. I'm going to have to, you know, and really gave that record um, another evaluation and realized that there's some decent stuff on this that I completely missed out on.
Jay, what uh, what did you sleep on that you finally came around to discovering? Uh, I'll give you a couple of hard rockers. So um, one would be um, a band called Badlands. So I love their first yeah. two records, and they're kind of a troubled uh, story and where this last record came out right after the singer died. It was only released in Japan, I think, in 99. Um, so it was it was available, but you had to be a hyper fan at this point. I kind of lost track of the band. So years later, it was finally re- released in the U.S. And if you like, you know, 70s style uh, rock that's all performance. I mean, just amazing performances. It's a it's another great record by this band and, and the last one they ever made. Uh, the other one is a band called New American Shames. Uh, we saw them live. I don't remember where, why, and I remember getting the CD. I might have got a like a a free like a cheap advanced copy or something and thought like it was nothing spectacular but years later it would come up in um just you know random mixes and it's it's just a really good like acdc style rock album with a really really strong singer too um super hooky just awesome simple guitar riffs that just rock um really holds up well the only album they ever made um, but that's one that um, I'll go back to maybe every six months is kind of like a, a palate cleanser when I just need to crank something and kind of reset and let off uh, some energy. I remember that record coming out and I have you described it as sort of AC DC ish. I, I had would have had no idea until you said what that yeah. sounded like. It was forgettable for me at the time, but I've gone back and revisited it, and it's actually, I don't know, I think really, really strong. For whatever reason, it just didn't connect in, in 1999 as well as it does now. I think they might have opened for Rat. There you go. I think we saw Rat at the Newport Music Hall with, like, 200 people, which the Newport holds, like, 1,200, so just to give you an idea. Rat had that trying to be a comeback album in 1999. They so. did. That's right. Along with Great White and half yeah. dozen other bandsmen. Dawkin had an album, yeah. Dawkin. Thanks, yeah, CMC International. Uh, no, they were all on uh, John Kalodner had revived um, Portrait Records. And they oh, were wow. all on that. Okay. Yes, this was the era of like uh, Metal Sludge, the website was taking off. Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, all these bands would be talked about there so there was definitely like a little weird community of people that were uh listening to all this stuff even though it was basically underground music at this point uh right. except for one band that was trying to bring it all back that was buck cherry which we also saw yes, yes. there's a lot of good rock and roll re-emerging just straight up hard rock it does see that it seemed like both in the u.s and then overseas with some of the action rock or high energy rock with helicopters and backyard babies and uh, hardcore superstar and yeah lucifer there was this sort of return to like i don't don't know detroit stooges uh kind of high energy rock that had been absent for or i mean you had some the, the white stripes are starting to happen and yep the go and um oh, what was that of the Detroit band that had a hit for a second? Oh, I can't remember their name. The Von yeah, Bodies. there was a lot. Yes, yes. Yeah, that'd be cut. That'd come in like a year or two, I think. Yeah, but this yeah. is when it's all starting. It's yep. You know that scene is building. Oh yeah, 
So let's talk about maybe some, you know, these are some lesser known bands. What are some buried treasures or lesser known albums that they might have even been by bigger bands, but they're just for some reason this album didn't take off or maybe they're smaller bands that, you know, uh, just didn't catch on. There might have been UK bands that didn't catch on in the United States or vice versa. Some some albums that uh, are hidden gems, you think, from 1999. Eric, I'll start with you. I got to go with Ignorance is Bliss by Face to Face. Face to Face at that point was known as a pop punk band. And they broke up after that self-titled record. It's not a very well-known story, but it is true. They broke up. uh, They got rid of their drummer, longtime drummer, the founding member, the last other founding member other than Trevor Keith. And they decided to regroup. They wanted to do something different. And they were very much influenced by bands that they also really liked. I mean, of course, they liked The Descendants and the and Bad Religion. And but they decided to use more of influences by The Cure and Fugazi. And they made this record that I loved when it came out. And I still love it. The only thing is when you have such a defined pop punk sound that pop punk audience is not going to dig something noticeably different and you know i I remember seeing face to face uh play a lot of those songs at liberty lunch and i could tell that there was a shift in the crowd's enthusiasm and they played like five or six songs from a record that wasn't even out yet the new drummer pete parada who now plays with the offspring and um it's a record that they still speak highly of, but as far as them playing songs from it, it rarely happens. Hmm. Um, but it, it was it was just it, it's just a great record if you are a fan of energetic, discordy, weird rock music for a pop punk band to do it. So highly, highly recommend that one. The only the the, the other one I have on my list was very popular in England, but didn't really well this band has never really had a big foothold in uh, america um and it's the stereophonics their second record performance in cocktails yeah yeah you know because i really kind of dismissed that band when word gets around their first album came out because it was like you know traffic is not a great introduction song to them but it was released as their first single it was it seemed like very oasis light and but uh, when at the radio station I worked at, we got a sampler in conjunction with a performance in cocktails. And it had songs from Word Gets Around as well as performance in cocktails. I was like, wow, this band is incredible. Um, and so, so many great songs on both of those records. And really after that, I have not much interest in that band. They decided to become more like a jammy uh, Black Crows kind of band. Well, for like two records, well, and well, then they good. turned into a pop band, and well, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Black, the Black Crows is a connection. They had uh, the Black Crows. Steve Gorman was, was playing with them, so yeah, yeah. yeah they Absolutely. fired Stuart Cable, and they got Steve Gorman to play with them. But uh, yeah, performance and cocktails just hit after hit. Great after hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, hurry up and wait. Pick a part that's new. Love it. Mm-hmm. And and I also face pace. Uh, the devil, you know, love that song. Yeah, it was on Buffy, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of funny stories about what happened with that band around that time, because like only a year later, they put out another record that was much more in line with what they were known for. And uh, 
you know, as I said, they rarely play any songs from that record. I've been fortunate to have seen them play some of those songs before. Uh, Since the record came out, um, they did an acoustic tour where they played that record start to finish. And Scott Shiflett, the bass player, played all the lead guitar lines. And then uh, Pete Parada made a surprise uh, appearance when they played in Dallas a few years ago. He was on tour with The Offspring. And so he came on out and played uh, Overcome as the encore and I was that blew my mind. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's an underappreciated record, but there are, have always been face-to-face fans that get it, but so many other face-to-face fans just don't want to have anything to do with it. They want to listen to don't turn away, you know, which I get, but you know, if you're, it, you have to be a little bit more open-minded about what to expect from face-to-face with listening to that record. Joe, what other, uh, hidden gems do you have from 1999 um stereophonics was on my list too uh sloan's between the bridges which was mentioned in the patreon comments i would agree with the uh listener too that's that that when i first heard that album wasn't as crazy about it but it's really grown on me over the years um oh shoot i just lost my place here um Doyle Bramhall 2's Jelly Cream album. His first, it was his second solo album. His first solo album was produced by Wendy and Lisa. So it was this weird kind of mix of a little bit of R&B stuff. But this one was like straight up like blues rock album and kind of like the direction he progressed from there. But I, I still love that album today. Um, cool Shakers, second album. Peasants, Pigs, and Astronauts. Kind of more of a concept album. Their first album was very... Um, different from it and bob esman produced it. it had a weird history like they originally brought john lecky in to work on um the demos and then they moved on to they were going to use rick rubin and george Strakakis, and then they eventually got rid of them and ended up with bob esman as a producer it's an odd little record but i still really enjoy it it's something that totally got passed by in its time and uh folk implosions um oh geez one part lullaby Yes, one part lullaby. Thank you. Um, that's another favorite of mine from that era that often gets forgotten about, especially because there was a Sebado album the same year. Yes. Jay, what are your hidden gems from 99? Black Crows, the Black... I'm sorry, the Black Halos, the Black Halos first record. Um, so pretty much a punk band, but uh, great hooks. Singer has a very unique vo- uh, vocal, kind of like um, New York Dolls-ish. Um, saw them live at the time and um, really great performance and yeah. still a record that holds up really well. Um, one that um, I don't know if it's consistent all the way through, but I think it's an interesting record to uh, to go check out if you can find it is Cobra Verde's Nightlife. 
So this is Ohio-based bands, uh, some connections to Guided by Voices. Um, it's a little bit like uh, 70s glammy, at times T-Rex here and there, but it's still kind of alternative, um, uh, really well-produced, uh, kind of an interesting band to check out. The Frames um, Dance the Devil, so um, he would go on to be, uh, what's the guy's name? Glenn Hansard. Yeah. So it's kind of pre him having a, 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 some popularity. Um, so their second record uh, still holds up pretty well. Sheila Devine. So we did a whole episode oh. on Parade, and I still love that record. I think it's their box. Oh. Oh, I completely forgot that came out in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great, sharp, well written, well performed. Production's good. Just all around. I still enjoy that record quite a bit. Do you still hum along to it? <laughs> Hi, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to get a, a vinyl reissue of that made. Um, I know. I've I been bugging they... him literally for like yeah. five years. <laughs> so uh, He's probably I'm quite sick of excited it. if that happens. So. Um, one that I wanted to mention for a hidden gem, only because I feel like this is probably an album that doesn't get mentioned because their 90s output is so strong and I really liked this record it's just maybe it's not as good as the other ones is Suede or London Suede's Head Music this is actually the album I discovered them on I didn't yeah, listen okay. to the band when it Coming Up had come out or Dogman Star or the first record um, so I discovered them on this because of the enemy because of going to the Virgin Megastore and really liked the single Electricity Really liked most of the record. I don't like the title track. That that song drives me the wrong way. But the rest of the album, I think, is really good. And it made me go back and get all the other records. And I really love that band after checking out that record. Um, I also feel like you sort of <laughs> missed it or, or mismentioned it. But the Black Crows record that came out this year is, is pretty good, By Your Side. I feel like it's better than the Three Snakes and a Charm record that came out prior to this kind of a return oh, yeah. of their more rockin' sound. I forgot about that record. Yeah, I would agree with that, Tim. Go Faster is on that record. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably the last one. I, I mean, Lions is pretty good, but after that, I, I sort of completely... I know they had a couple more records, but I lost track of all that after after that record. And we've that done was, a lot of... I think that was the record that was supposed to be like the last big push where they had like, yeah. okay, we're going to try to have another hit record. I think after that, they just kind of settled into their live band thing and just did their own yeah. course. And if, we've done a, a lot of albums that would fall under Hidden Gems for reviews like Spider Baits, uh, Grand Slam, and Sparkle Horse's Good Morning Spider, and blue bottle kisses patient just to name a few but mm -hmm. let's get to what we're all here for our favorite albums <laughs> with some runners up for 1999 joe i'm going to start with you for this section oh god don't start with me uh, um i have to add travis onto the list because i completely forgot about that and that would definitely make my in my top albums of the year i can't believe i actually forgot that this one may not be a super popular choice, but it's a record I still listen to a lot. Third Eye Blinds Blue. Oh, okay. Still enjoy that record quite a bit. It's interesting that most of the hits off it were really pop songy, but it's more experimental stuff on the album I like, especially if you can get like the um, non-American version that has the uh, full-length lyric version of Slow Motion. Um, 
got to have that version. Like the one that got neutered on, on the actual album that got released is no good. This came up uh, kind of in in the pre-show. Uh, Our Lady Peace is uh, Happiness is Not a Fish You Can Catch. Um, love that record. Uh, Jay was listening to a piece of it before we recorded the show. And that's actually one of my favorite albums by the band. And I would also add Sheila Devine to my list, too, now that I realize that came out in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so that's got to be on there as well. All right. Eric, give us some um, of your favorites and your favorite. Let, let me go with the runners up first. Okay. Uh, Rattle them off. Enema of the State by Blink-182. Um Despite its toilet humor and, you know, kind of goofiness in especially the songs like, uh, you know, What's My Age Again, the production is still fantastic. The songs are still wonderful. Travis Barker really made that band much more special than Scott Rayner could ever do. Scott Rayner was was a good, fast drummer, but Travis Barker just he's on a, a completely different level and you would have never thought that, oh, the guy that plays on the second Aquavats record He's going to, you know, change Blink-182 for the better. But he did. Um, other runner-up, uh, The Promised Rings, Very Emergency. Uh, this was a band that started off as, like, a real fast pop-punk-like emo band. And this was, their, this was, like, the closest thing that they ever did to making a pop record. Uh, just ten songs, boom, boom, boom. Not a bad song in the mix. And, uh, yeah, and The Promised Ring... <sighs> just one of the most crucial emo bands around that time and that leads me to this is one of my all-time favorite records period i mean it's in in just for me this is on par with uh, pet sounds don't turn away as far as like meaning to me and that is jimmy world's clarity i know y'all did an entire episode devoted to clarity but to just kind of sum it all up is like this was a band that they were on a major label. This was their third record and the major label just really left them alone. And so they spent 60 days in the studio experimenting with all sorts of ideas. And they in turn created this absolute masterpiece. Um, and, uh, still one of the best drum sounds I've ever heard. And I was fortunate to tell the drummer, Zach Lynn that, and he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, just, there's something about the drumming, the drumming on that, the way it sounds, just everything about it. It's like you have the big, long songs, you have the short, concise songs, but every single one is a winner. And yes, I can listen to Goodbye Sky Harbor, all 16 minutes of it, and not want to skip to the next song, <laughs> skip to the <laughs> skip, skip back to the first song. Um, but yeah, Clarity is tops for me. I knew that was coming. If you had said... Yeah. What album I would have placed a large sum of money on you picking that record? I I just had a feeling. Yeah, you know I like emo. I knew it. I I we've been doing this a long time together. I think I've got uh, a few things figured out. A few things, not all, just a few. Uh, Jay, favorite album and some runners up from 1999. I mean, favorite. What is that? What does that mean? Um, there's so many. This, I guess, revisiting this year, I realized. <laughs> how important a year this was for me for whatever reason. I just was really engaged in yeah. music at this point in my life and uh, so many different kinds of music. And there was a lot of stuff I liked from this year. Um, but that said, I think the th uh, three that made the biggest impact would be um, 
I'll go with Sheila Devine. Um, I'll go with Muse Showbiz. Um, and the one that really blew my mind and I still uh, just love to this day is the Helicopters Grande Rock. So, you know, you, you get punk, you get classic rock, you get dueling guitar solos, you get pure energy, you get some electric piano. Um, it sort of... Uh, it has a vintage kind of like kiss feel to it. Like the early kiss records, it has so much going on it's, and overall it's just fun. I think it was the, one of those records, uh, as we got to, to the later part of the decade and, um, where it was just, you know, it was a hard rock record that was fun again. And it kind of found its place without being like, you know, uh, eighties, eighties metal pop metal, uh, silliness, this, was a whole other kind of way to express um, fun, higher energy rock and roll. So um, this was a big record for me, and I, and I still really love it. I, I agree with you. This is a really hard year. I didn't realize how much music I loved from this year. I am, however, surprised that there are some albums that you did not mention that I thought for sure you were going to mention. All right. Maybe I missed them. What did I miss? The self-titled album by Supergrass. Mm, okay. Blink of the Stars, August Everywhere. That's a good one. Pretty Mighty Mighty's Famous Past Lives. Oh, are you going to play that card on me? I'm going to play that card on you. Well, we did spend an episode talking about it. Now, that's a really obscure Uh, record for most people because it's a Columbus, Ohio release. Came out at a small indie label. Yeah, you can, you know, dig it up somewhere. But it's not even, I don't think it's streaming even. I think, well, maybe Neil got a, <laughs> the drummer who I recently talked to. Maybe he got it up. That's probably tied. It, it's so hard. I mean, I love the Helicopters record. That's my introduction to the band there. You know, the Blink of the Star record is amazing. I love the Burning Airlines record from this year, the Fiona oh. Apple record. I mean, Please. Jesus. But the I one know. that I've gone to more over the years than anything is uh the pretty mighty mighty album so and i and i love the sheila divine record too saw them multiple more times than, more than summer teeth yeah that's not no. my favorite wilco record i, I mean I, you were you were all up in wilco at this time i know i was now but now if you ask me to rank wilco records that'd probably be middle yeah. of the pack okay so and don't make me ask don't ask me to start ranking wilco records because we'll be here for you know, a good two hours as I try to place everything and and debate myself. So, and I like the Please Man don't. Who by Travis. That was a pivotal album and, and Dovetail Joints record and Guided by Voices. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, there's a lot of records that were really good. Yeah. One that wasn't, Paul Westerkirk's Suicane Gratification. I'm so disappointed in that record. I still am to this day. I bought like the, the like special, like, uh, limited edition like they had a it wasn't just a cd like it was a special digipack yeah. thing or yeah there was a book like yeah it came out the, it came out the same day as uh, clarity so guess which one i've listened to more yeah 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 that was a i would agree with the uh the westberg one that was kind of a disappointment for me too as was the you mentioned the self-titled supergrass album coming after in it for the money that was that was a big disappointment for me because that record was really? so good i love that album so much and i think they're equal the self-titled one was like eh, it just doesn't as good oh i love moving and oh there's so many good pumping on your stereo 
Yeah. I've come back to appreciate it more, but at the time I was disappointed in it. I gotcha. But I got to say, so many of our listeners over the years have suggested records that, you know, I would never have listened to, you know, the Sparkle Hosh record. No, we played with Ultimate Fake Book. I can't say that one. Um, Spider Bait, Blue Bottle Kiss, Llama Farmers. That was another good one from 99 that we reviewed many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if you've listened to this episode and you thought you idiots forgot a really great album that came out in 1999, t- tell us so in the comments over at Facebook, tweet us, you know, or if you're one of our patrons over at Patreon, feel free to um bring up an album that was forgotten that we should have talked about or our commenters should have brought up and uh continue the conversation on the albums of 1999. <coughs> Sorry, I got a little cough there. Um, getting emotional? I'm getting emotional about this here, Jay. Eric? Yes? Tell people what you're up to right now. Where can they find you on the internets? Uh, definitely check out my website, themeparkexperience.com. I still technically do a podcast, but I haven't done an episode in like six or seven months. So I'm hoping to do a few episodes this year. Uh, you can check out my band, Cave Mountains, cavemountains.bandcamp.com. Uh, We put out our first record last year, and this year we're planning on recording a new album. And, uh, yeah, so that's essentially what I've been doing. And, of course, still writing for the Dallas Observer and working on another book. And this is going to be my second book about emo. I can't escape the genre. I just love it so much. And it loves you back. Yeah, and it's not sad. (laughs) Uh, Joe, what's up? On your end. Oh, well, you can still find me at Sit and Spin with Joe at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Although my show has also been on a bit of a hiatus lately just because uh, uh, raising a toddler has proven to be really time consuming uh, at the age he's at right now, which is three. Um, other than that, though, uh, I just started doing a new Sidecast podcast episode with a couple friends of mine, uh, Eric Miller from the Pods and Sods Network and John Lammer of the Hustle Podcast. We're doing a show called Soundtrack Six Pack, where we each pick two of our favorite songs from soundtracks and just kind of highlight those. We just recorded like our fourth episode the other day, so we've had two that have come out so far. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Speaking of a record I forgot that I was going to mention was the Magnolia soundtrack that Amy Mann did. It's, oh, yes. It's pretty, pretty strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way to go to remember that now. Well, yeah. he said soundtracks, and I... Yeah. That was actually uh, one of the songs from that album came up in the last episode we recorded. See? <laughs> there you go. Synergy. Patreon is the place to go to become part of the Dig Me Out Union, support the podcast, vote in polls pick our round tables our 80s episodes dig me out podcast is your place for the 90s and beyond i just made that up i just uh just created that tagline there trademark if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes so that's it for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www. 
patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Fast as you can.